I had slides. I had pictures. I had all these really great things for you this morning, and then the computer decided to do the things that computers do. So I'm really sorry, uh, but I'll tell you what to Google. Maybe that could be. You can do this whole interactive 2020 thing where you look it up on your phone. Um, so this morning we're going to be continuing on in our journey through the book of Isaiah. We're doing this really interesting thing. So we started at towards the end of the book. And we've been slowly making our way backwards in the book. We started, I think, in chapter 42, went to chapter 49, and then we've been moving backwards. And today, we are going to be reading out of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 4. So we're going to just begin um, by reading this uh, text. It says this, Nevertheless, There will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice while dividing their plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. So, as we've been reading this book, as we've been reading the book of Isaiah, there's primarily been um, Isaiah, he's giving a message to um, the people of Judah. So this was going to be one of my really great maps that I don't have, and I apologize about this. Israel, um, when it was formed, you think of um, people like King David, and King Solomon, those kings, it was all one great and mighty nation. Well, somewhere along the way, they began to find themselves conflicted and, and, and falling and being divided. And they eventually found themselves divided into two nations. There's this northern nation of Israel. There's a southern nation of Judah. So the last part of the book, the for uh, chapter 42, 49, the ones that we've been studying have actually been Isaiah speaking a word of hope to Judah after they were conquered by Babylon. Well, this text, Isaiah chapter 9, is this interesting brief break from this book that's by and large been written to the uh, people of Judah, but it's actually Isaiah speaking to the nation of Israel, the northern nation. Now, Israel was in this, um, we'll call it a pickle, this interesting situation. They were being warned um, that their, um, their lives, their behavior, the things that they were doing was leading them down this path that was going to get them overthrown. Specifically, they were um, feeling this pressure, this heat, this fear uh, from an outside nation, the nation of Assyria. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about Assyria because I want us to really understand what they are feeling. So 
during the time of this text, um, Assyria was under the rule of a king called King Tiglath. Pileser the third. I totally butchered that. So what I'm going to do is from henceforth, I'm naming him TP3. That's what I'm calling him. So TP3 was a strong and incredibly violent king. So he came to power by overthrowing and killing the royal family. They think he had some blood, um, like some royal blood, but that He was not supposed to be in the line of kings, but he overthrew the royal family. He killed them and he took over the throne. And actually under TP3's rule, he really kind of created these sweeping changes in the nation of Assyria. They um, found their army. Uh, He created the very first kind of standing army, a permanent army. For their nation, he made these um, uh, in, increases and improvements in their national security and some of the efficiency of their government. He was actually, by some of our metrics, um, maybe one of the more successful kings in this time. They said that he is credited with the last great growth of the Assyrian Empire. They would eventually go downhill from there, as most nations do. But he made all of this growth and improvement. And this was going to be my second slide how vast his empire was and it included and eventually would take over the northern nation of israel now um one of the things about uh tp3 and the assyrians that's really important to um, get your head around as we're talking about israel thinking about um this uh nation that's coming that's potentially going to conquer them uh it's what Assyria's reputation was. So I'm going to, I'm going back and forth whether I should read this. I probably will only read part of it. And if you want to hear more, you can talk to me after church. But it says this, it's written by a professor of history, um, Professor Joshua Mark. He talks about the Assyrians this way. He says, the Assyrians created the world's first great army and the world's first great empire. This was held together by two factors, their superior abilities in siege warfare and their reliance on unadulterated sheer terror. It was Assyrian policy to always demand that examples be made of those who resisted them. This included deportations of entire peoples and horrific physical punishments. Now they go on to talk about this temple they found in one of these ancient cities that has written what Assyria did to their people. I've decided I'm not going to read it. You're welcome. Uh, But let's just say this. It is shocking what they would do to their people. Assyria was not just um, interested in taking over your country and removing your king, and placing their own. They were completely dedicated and um, all about just wiping out your way of life and replacing it with theirs. They worked hard to remove any resistance, to stamp down or tamp down anybody who might possibly think about rising up and standing 
in their way. This sort of reputation, they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and all that. This sort of reputation, however, would have gone ahead of Assyria. As Israel, in this moment, that they're hearing this word from Isaiah, they're beginning to hear rumblings that Assyria is coming, that this is possibly something that's going to happen, and just place yourself in their shoes. This was a dark, dark time. They probably began to think about all of the darkness and violence and brutality that was to come. They probably thought a lot about how their men weren't safe. Their women and children weren't safe. The cities that they grew up in and loved weren't safe. There was assuredly all sorts of tears. That feeling in the pit of your stomach that you don't know what's about to happen, but you're really afraid of what that's going to be. This was a moment where Israel was reckoning with a future they could not control. Assyria was going to show up or they weren't, but Israel didn't have any control over that. And they were trying to get their head around what that meant for them. In this text, one of the primary images that we're seeing here is this image of darkness. And it's not just kind of like existential, ethereal, out there somewhere else, darkness. But this Isaiah prophet or this Isaiah text is about this real world flesh and blood darkness, something that you will experience. And as I read this, and as I thought about this text, and as I processed it, I began to think about how this text reads into your life and my life. I think about how darkness impacts us, and I think about this text, there's kind of two ways darkness can impact us. There's the darkness within us, this is uh, we can say the darkness is within us, but what we mostly mean is the ways that we um, have been hurt, the, maybe the addictions that we carry, the pain we carry, how we might isolate ourselves from other people because we have found other people can't be trustworthy. Think about all of the pain and the hurt within us and how that manifests and how there are times when that pain has a gravity to it and it just feels dark. And I also think about how darkness can be something imposed on us, like an attacking army. Somebody comes for you. A situation where uh, you are not in control, but hurt seems to just pile on you. You've lost a job. You've lost a marriage. You've lost a best friend. You're grieving somebody who has passed away. Something you did not ask for, and yet it has still arrived. Darkness. Isaiah is giving language to this very human experience. He's helping us to see it's written to Israel, to a people, to a place, to a context. But we find ourselves in this story too. 
darkness present, rushing up on us. Something, no matter how hard we run and fight and sprint, we can't seem to outrun it. Isaiah is giving language for this human experience. One of the things that I love, though, about this text is there are some dark texts. (laughs) And there are some texts that you read and you think, well, that just lifted my spirit. This is actually one of those texts that is not simply dark, but it's actually the opposite. So in this, Isaiah does this really interesting thing where he names it. He names this human experience of darkness. He doesn't um, kind of tiptoe around it. He says, I understand what is coming. Darkness is on its way. But then he makes this transition. He moves away from darkness because darkness is not uh, all powerful in and of itself. He moves it away from darkness to something of hope and joy. Now this is really, really important because darkness feels never ending. I have this memory, so I was trying to think about times where I found myself in situations where I was surrounded by literal or emotional darkness. And I had this interesting memory. So you guys don't have tornadoes. You have frightening earthquakes that arrive at 3 a.m., but that's beside the point. In the Midwest, we, every spring, it's like this yearly rite of passage around March-ish, you begin to have thunderstorms. And with these thunderstorms come tornado watches and tornado warnings. And when I was little, there are these like loud sirens that just warning you about this possibility, this threat of a tornado arriving. Um, By the way, I still prefer tornadoes to earthquakes. And anybody who tells me otherwise is wrong, is wrong. But there was this moment when I'm little and I'm, I'm frightened by these loud noises and uh, these thunderstorms could get really raucous, hail. Uh, the outside would turn green if it were daytime, lightning, thunder. I mean, this whole thing. And I remember being little, and it was at night, and I remember it being this massive thunderstorm, and we watched this, uh, the news on the TV talking about a tornado warning, and then I remember the lights went out. They just pitch black. And I remember feeling so deeply afraid, first. And second, I remember it lasted forever. It probably didn't. But I remember that deep feeling of darkness, that feeling that everything is coming to an end, and it's never going to be okay again. And I remember that feeling in that moment, and I have felt that feeling in other times since then. Not just in these really tangible physical moments where the electricity goes out and I just feel afraid, but in moments of extreme stress or pain, relational strife. These moments in life where it feels dark, 
And one of the characteristics of darkness is that it convinces you it is never going away. Darkness feels heavy. It feels like a burden. It feels ominous and all-powerful. When you're in it, that feeling when you can't see your hand in front of your face, you think this is never going to end. This is one of the great lies of darkness, but it's a very convincing lie. Isaiah, he takes this image of darkness and he's talking to the Israelites. He says, listen, I get it. What's coming is not going to be fun. It's going to be dark. It's going to be painful. It's going to shake you to your core. But the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah is saying, I know, I know. I've heard the rumors and the things that you've heard about Assyria. I've heard those same things too. But as Isaiah speaks, He is saying, even though I know this dark moment is either upon us or is coming soon, this darkness will not last forever. Isaiah is saying, I know this king, TP3, because I'm not repeating his name again. I know he seems powerful. And part of the mystique of kings is that they convince you that they're immortal. Caesars did this all the time. They're the sons of gods. Don't question the king. He can end you like that. I know kings seem powerful, but let me tell you, they will end up in a grave too. I know this country seems unconquerable, but they will have their end too. Because here's the thing about darkness. Darkness isn't actually a something. Darkness is simply the absence of light. When light arrives, darkness flees. And then Isaiah goes on to talk about what will happen when the light arrives. He talks about how their nation will be enlarged and their joy will increase. Take a moment and think about at this moment, all of these horrific whispers about Assyria, they I'm sure they couldn't get their head around that. Are you telling me that I'm going to have joy again? Are you lying to me? That you will rejoice as people rejoice at the harvest. And at the very end in verse 4, Isaiah says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors. Hidden in this little line is this really interesting thing. Midian, and it took me a second to catch what was going on, but we're going to read this. I'm going to give you um, a commentary's take on this little line. A writer and pastor, his name's Chris Baker, he says this. 
He says, when Isaiah says that a light has shined on the people, he is drawing both from the common human experience and the specific history of Israel. Isaiah pulls on another bit of Israel's history as well. The hope of a coming king and kingdom that will arrive in ways we don't expect. Isaiah says that the yoke of the people will be broken as on the day of Midian. Back in the book, there's a book in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. If you go find that book and you go to chapter 6, we hear this story about a man named Gideon. And he defeats the Midianites. Though there's this, I'm going to paraphrase this. There's this really interesting story where he's called to fight against the Midianites and he assembles this army of 32,000 men. And through this process, God keeps asking him to reduce the number in his army. And it keeps going on and on and on. And there's these levels and layers. And eventually in the end, he goes into battle against the Midianites with 300 people. Carrying not swords, but trumpets and empty jars. Chris, uh, Chris Baker says, Gideon and his army of 300 go into battle as God leads them, not with swords, but with trumpets and empty jars. And in the midst of the cacophony, the Midianites turn their swords on each other and are defeated. Now this is here on purpose. This is a text reading again to the present, Isaiah speaking to this nation who's about to be overthrown by the Assyrians. He recalls this story of Gideon. And he says, you remember Gideon? He overthrew an army with 300 people. Odds were against him. It should not happen. And yet it did. Remember Gideon. You think you can't overthrow Assyria? You think your future is going to be cut off? You think there is no hope because you are not strong enough? Remember Gideon. The underlying thing in this text, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, is that it's not just light and dark that Isaiah is talking about. That what Isaiah is really talking about is um, a dark world, a painful world, a world that we are all aware behaves in a way that it should not. We look around us and we think this is not the way things should be. It's all broken. Isaiah is recognizing this and he is saying that somebody will come. And restore light to a dark world. Your Messiah will come, Isaiah is writing. You will rejoice. You may feel like you'll never rejoice again, but the Messiah will come. Friends, this is a really good word for us. Because in our darker moments, we feel like we'll never be victorious again. 
We fear we'll never win again. We fear no help is coming. We fear we'll never experience joy. We fear we'll never find peace. We fear we'll never find fulfillment. We fear that everything's changing and it's falling apart and it's going to leave us just crushed. But Isaiah reminds us, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten me. Now, Isaiah didn't know who this Messiah would be. Jesus wouldn't come for hundreds of years following him. But he understood that something would happen. That a light would arrive. Now, there's two parts of the Bible. There's the Old Testament story of Israel moving up to this kind of quiet period. And then there's the New Testament, which begins with the Gospels or the accounts of Jesus. You have Matthew, you have Mark, you have Luke, and you have John. John begins his text, his story of Jesus. Jesus entering into ministry, which would eventually find him crucified and resurrected. He begins it this way. In the beginning was the word... We understand the word in this text to be Jesus. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, the darkness can feel really real. It can feel heavy. It can feel oppressive. If you're not currently in a season of your life where you feel this darkness, don't worry, you will. That is the good news. That's why you guys came to church this morning was for that kind of optimism. But here's the deal. That part of the reason we are here is not simply to feel better. The part of the reason why we're here isn't just to eat uh, pastries and drink coffee and to hang out with our friends. No, surprisingly, it's not. We're all asking the same question. Who are we in our worst moments? Where is God in the most painful times? What do we do with dark times? What do we do with dark seasons? What do we do with dark moments? What do we do with pain? And friends, this morning is a reminder that God is with you. That Christ came. He was the light that entered into a dark moment. And we live in this already, but not yet, that God has already begun this redemptive work, which will be fulfilled one day, but it isn't yet. And so this morning, as you come to the table we do so in this um, 
place of in-between. We kind of find ourselves where Israel is sometimes. That darkness has arrived, or it is arriving, and we can't see any way out of it. But to celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ is to proclaim hope in the midst of darkness. That darkness has a limit. It is not all-powerful. It will not reign supreme forever. That our God, the light of the world, will overcome any and all darkness.